All right, that's my mistake, not yours. My bad, Ryan. Don't get mad at me. Okay, so I'm out of practice, right? It's been two weeks since I've been up here. And so, you, like, preachers turn into, like, rabid dogs. When we don't get to preach, we get excited. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. And the first thing I'm excited to tell you about is we have a really great opportunity for you guys. So we have a really generous donor that has a passion uh, combating uh, human trafficking. And if you know that there's a movie that's come out, it's created a lot of buzz called Sound of Freedom. And so this donor came up to me and was like, look, I want to make sure that everybody can see this movie. And if price is an issue, I want to make sure that it's not. And so they made a donation and we have regal gift cards in the back of the room at the welcome desk today. And so we want you guys to take all of them, okay, because we want you to go see this movie. You just got to promise me you're going to see this movie. All right. <clears throat> and so no Indiana Jones, Sound of Freedom. All right. And so uh, this gift card is for you. Uh, we have a limited supply, but if you want to go, I know that a group of 10 young adults went last night to see the movie. And everyone that I've heard talk about this movie has said what a tremendous impact it's made on their life. So this is a gift for you. Does anyone want this gift right here? All right, I just saw hands right here. You're the closest to me, so that makes it the easiest. Thank you. You're welcome. You. Enjoy it. Yes, sir. And so... Um, Please go support that. It, it is a, a uh, issue that is in our world, and it is uh, terrible. And so there is nothing maybe more dark than the trafficking of kids and people in this world. And so we need to become aware, and then we need to do our part as a church, whatever that means, to combat this and, and be a part of the solution to the darkness of the world that God's called us to meet. Uh, and so today, though, we are dealing with a brand new series. Um, Pastor Chris came and he spoke for me. He ended our church hurt series and then he, he gave a one-off message on the importance of the Bible and the, the validity of the Bible and how it, the role that it plays in our lives. But as we got through that series, what I realized is, and maybe many of you are familiar with this term, uh, but this new series is called uh, Picking Up the Pieces, Rebuilding a Shattered Faith. For a lot of people, when they go through church hurt, faith shatters. They go through a part of life where their expectations, their hopes, their joys, uh, and what their expectation of God and the church was kind of gets annihilated. And we have this term in our culture um, that, that for some Christians is super scary and for others it's really encouraging. Um, but it's this term called deconstruction. You may have heard of it, like everyone is doing this online and a lot of people are deconstructing their faith. And here's the encouraging part. This has been happening forever. This, this part of our world and the deconstruction of faith and ideas and things like that, that's been part of uh, the world. But, but what we want to do in here today is we're not going to, as a church, say, hey, if you're struggling, if you're doubting, if you're not sure about things in your faith and you're deconstructing, this isn't the place for you. We're here to tell you that this is a place where you can ask your questions where you can struggle with doubt and worry and anxiety and deal with this idea of the hurt that you've experienced in, in rebuilding your faith. We want to be a part of actually helping you do that. And so um, I want us in this series to learn to deal with deconstruction in the healthiest and most beneficial way possible. And you may be sitting here and you're like, you know, Pastor Blake, I might not be here for the next five weeks because honestly, I don't struggle with this. I don't struggle with my faith. I don't, I don't struggle with rebuilding all of this. And so, man, I don't know if this is really for me. But maybe you're here to be equipped to help somebody else. 
Because the reality is, is like nearly 50% of people who grew up in the church are deconstructing their faith currently. Half. So that means you probably know someone. I mean, just look around the room. I know you're in the room. You can deconstruct and still be in the room. And so maybe you're even in the room. And look around the room. Imagine half of the people in this room right now are struggling to work through their faith in this moment. And so we as the church are not going to plug our ears and put our head in the sand. We are going to stand up and we are going to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ to help them rebuild this. And so that's where this series is going to go. And in fact, I had my own series of severe doubt and deconstruction um, when I was in seminary. It was my first year of seminary, and um, Kelsey and I had just gotten married. I I was um, studying uh, to become a pastor, and I realized, like, I really better believe this stuff if I'm going to make my life about this. And there's some things that I'm giving up to go into the ministry, And I'm completely okay with giving those things up and saying no to those things and saying yes to God if God is real. I have no problem letting these things go. But I really better be sure that this is right. And so I went through uh, almost a whole year of doubt. Now, I had a distinct honor that I worked in the School of Religion at Liberty University. So the days that I had a hard day, I could walk down the hall and knock on a professor's door who was a subject expert in whatever doubt I had, and I could sit with them for an hour and talk about my doubt. But what if we could create an environment here that's similar? What if we could create an environment here where it's okay to have questions and it's okay to struggle and it's okay that that life is hard and faith is hard? I mean, and the Bible doesn't hide from this. If you read the Psalms, if you look at the lives of many believers, they struggle. I mean, we have a guy that we gave the nickname Doubting Thomas, right? And so what I want us to do is to begin to step in to this moment. But I know that For many of us, that word deconstruction in our current culture um, is either like a cuss word to you or it is something that's super exciting because you think about all of these new possibilities. But what I want to help us do uh, this morning is we're going to begin to kind of make a distinction between two terms that I I think will help us understand where we're headed. Let me give you a definition um, by this man who wrote this book. I'll show it to you in a second. about what deconstruction is. It says this. It should be on the screen for you. A crisis of Christian faith that leads to either a reevaluation of Christianity or sometimes a total abandonment of Christianity. He wrote this book, and I would recommend this as a resource to you. The name of the book is When Everything is on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. If you are struggling um, and you are trying to figure out where you are and what's going on and how to do that, he struggled a lot too. And so he wrote this book in this current season that we're in to help people. And so if you want to see it, I have a copy of it up here. You can look at it, but I would encourage that as reading and it's very readable. And so what happens is, is we have to understand that deconstruction doesn't come really out of good intentions. It generally comes out of crisis. And if you know anything about crisis, crisis will turn off the logical thinking of your brain. Right? That, that's what trauma does. This is what fight or flight does to us. And some of us in the room and listening online are in fight or flight in our faith right now. And so we, we are struggling to find our way through this. And we feel like part of our identity is being taken. And we, we don't know what to do very well. So we log on to Instagram and YouTube and watch other people in the process. 
And we identify with their hurt and their pain and their questions, but the reality is they haven't got to the end of the journey. And so for a lot of us, we have to choose wisely who we're listening to and and how we're listening and what is going on uh, because it's like many times the blind leading the blind. And I know that we all have a lot in common, and I know that we all have a lot going on, and we're, we're figuring this out together, but doing this well is important. I don't know anybody in here who would go into another part of the world or go to a dangerous place and ask somebody for directions, and they said, well, I, I've heard of that place, but I don't know how to get there, but I'll help you find it. Follow me. You don't know how to get there? No, but we'll figure it out together. None of us probably in the room, if we were in a foreign country, go, oh, that's my guy. That's the guy. The guy that doesn't know where he's going but has an idea of the area where he might want to be but doesn't know the way. That's the guy I'm going to follow in a foreign land. I've been in places in the world and been in situations uh, that I needed to know someone who had been there and knew how to get there and how to get home. That's the guy I'm following. That's, that's the lady I'm following. And so what happens here in this, this season that we're in, because we live in a very authentic time, um, is that we, we put our process out there in front of everybody, but we don't know the process yet. And so it becomes very dangerous. And so deconstruction is this idea of you are taking apart pieces, and the goal of deconstruction is that you will rebuild. If you are not rebuilding your faith, it is not deconstruction, it is destruction. That's all that it is. There is no rebuilding going on. But there is another term that I think is really important. There's deconstruction. And then the term that we're going to use, I think the healthiest way to deal with this is called disentangling. What happens for a lot of us is is we grow up in the church or we, we grow up around faith or we become a new Christian. And we notice that there's a lot of things going on in our church and in our community that isn't quite in the Bible. Right? Like, I don't know if you grew up in church. I did not. So I didn't have these struggles, but some of you did. Where there was arguments about the color of the curtains. There was arguments about what version of the Bible you had to read. Because if you didn't read that version, then you weren't saved. Right? Like, King James only version. People like, I, I have some words for that. But not only that, it's the color of the carpet. It's what instruments are allowed on stage. It's what you wear. It's how you talk. And what you realized is, is for a lot of us, is is all of these rules that you've added on for me to be a good Christian aren't in the Bible. And so now I'm questioning everything. Now I don't know what is true because what you told me is true isn't in there. So now I'm going to question everything else. And we live in a time of great failures within our culture, right? Companies are failing. Leaders are failing. Pastors are failing. Churches are failing. And so we have an innate distrust of people and organizations. And so deconstruction is meant to take that down and then rebuild it. The problem is many times in our culture, we get scared to rebuild. And I'll tell you why later in the message. But disentangling is something that I think is very valuable. In fact, in our next section, uh, what we're going to go to, we're going to see how to do it well. But disentangling is this. We have the Bible and we have culture. And what happens is, is many times we start to tangle together the Bible and culture. And we begin to say, this is what's good and this is what isn't. The problem is it's not in the Bible. And so what happens is, is we start judging people off of parameters that shouldn't be there at all. And so this gets entangled and people go, man, I I can't do this, so I'm going to just get rid of the whole thing. But what if there was another way? What if there was a way to disentangle the culture from the Bible? 
Because here's what I find a lot of times. In deconstruction, many times people see things out in the culture and go, well, that doesn't align with the Bible, so I'm going to use the culture to redefine the Bible. I don't, this isn't matching for me, so I'm going to do this. So what deconstruction does many times is it takes the culture and says, this is the lens through which now I interpret the Bible. And then we get a little mixed up. We get a little confused and things get weird and hard and we just ignore things that are in there that are contrary to this new belief system that we've built. But disentangling does the opposite. What disentangling does is it takes the Bible and says, we're going to remove that. Here's the truth of the scripture. Now the Bible is going to define the culture. The Bible is now going to be the authority through which I am going to submit and allow that lens to define the culture that I'm in. And so that's where we are currently in this world. And so when we talk about deconstruction, we're really talking about in this room disentangling. We're trying to figure out, this is what the Bible says, and the Bible is my guide to tell me what's going on in the culture. And you say, well, Pastor Blake, like, how do I know that this is good? I'm glad that you asked because Jesus did it. You're like, Jesus disentangled? 100%. If you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, this is the longest single sermon speech that Jesus gives in the entire Bible. And Jesus, from the get-go, starts to disentangle culture from the Bible and begins to redefine some things for people. So we're going to be in 17 to 48. Don't worry, we're going to just focus on a few parts of this. But listen to what Jesus says, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. What does he mean? I have not come to get rid of the Bible. The Old Testament is made up of the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, I am not here to get rid of the Bible. I am not here to, to, to do away with this. In fact, I am here to uphold it, uplift it, and fulfill it. He says this, I have not come to abolish them, to, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He says this, anybody who begins to try to reinterpret what I have said will be the least. Anybody who starts to use the culture to redefine my holy, good, purposeful words will have a problem. And so Jesus is going to begin to deconstruct because here's what's happened in the culture. Judaism, um, they wanted to be very clear that they were following the law. And so out of the Ten Commandments, somehow they got over 630 laws. They got real specific, right? Like the color of the curtains, specific. And you say, man, we don't do that now. Are you sure? I think it's in us. Why is it in us? Because when we have laws and clarity and defining lines, we can tell who's good and who's not. And it's not so that we avoid the bad people. It's so we feel better than bad people. And these rules aren't even in the book. And so what happens is, is this was going on in the time. Jesus is like, hey, I know you guys love the Bible, but because you love the Bible, you can't keep writing. I'm the author of scripture, not you. And so let's get back to the word. So he says, anybody who does this is going to have a problem. They'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven. But he gives a counter argument. 
But the one who teaches others accordingly will be called least of these to heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says this, and this is where the disentangling happens. You have heard it said, verse 21, you have heard it said that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, here's the reinterpretation. This is what it really means. Anyone who is angry with his brother or sister, other versions say hate, will be subject to judgment. Jesus said, so you've heard it said this, but I'm here to tell you something else. Here's what this really means. I am not as concerned or the only thing that that I am looking at is not the act of anything, but the heart of everything. So Jesus goes on to say this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, verse 27. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. By the way, ladies, this goes the same for you. You've committed adultery. Jesus says, I'm reinterpreting, I'm letting you know the original intention. We got it mixed up somewhere along the way. Not only that, Jesus continues to talk about this, uh, about divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus says, you guys made it about a certificate. You made this a legal action. I'm here to talk about the commitment that was made. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for the city, uh, for this is the city of the great king. And do not swear to, to, uh, on your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this becomes from the evil one. And then here's probably one of the greatest moments where Jesus disentangles from the culture. He says this, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You've heard that that this is what is going on. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Verse 43, he picks this up even more and he says this, you have heard that it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is saying the culture, everything out there in the church and in the synagogues and all of that, you've heard that it was said this. I'm here to tell you what this really is going on. We're going to disentangle from the culture and we're going to allow the scriptures to define the culture now. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it really is good enough for us. And so we need to follow in the footsteps of Christ as we begin to to go down this process. And maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know, Pastor Blake, I've never had a problem in this area of my life. I've never, I've never doubted. I've never really been in a season of doubt. You know, the crazy thing about crisis is, is no one can predict when it comes. That's why it's a crisis. If it was predictable, it'd be an inconvenience. 
But a crisis, by definition, is something that, that you, you don't know when it's coming, but you can't predict a crisis, but you can prepare for it. You can prepare for it. Because why do people so many times deconstruct? What are some of the things that they deal with in their life that causes them to to run away from this? And the first is a lack of trust. We have seen the failure of organizations and people, and we look at the church, and we look at God, and we begin to assign these things And because we have a lack of trust. Like, let me give you an example. Um, 18 to 34-year-olds were surveyed on the trustworthiness of different people. What do you think that 18 to 24-year-olds thought about clergy? How trustworthy clergy were? Any guesses? 24%. Twenty-four percent of eighteen to thirty-four year olds said that clergy are trustworthy. And some of you in here may be like, "Man, they should be trusting them. They should be doing." Well, look at the culture. Look at the failures. Look at all of the clergy who have done all of these things, who are supposed to be men and women of God who are following after the Lord, and they fail. We're we're supposed to be the cream of the crop, right? But we fail. Or what about this? Not only is there a lack of trust, but our faith is tested like never before. And that's not a bad thing. But the reality is, is we have exposure in our current time to every worldview at the click of our fingertips. You can go on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and you can watch every other worldview and it can present itself to you. And when you are dealing with doubt and disconcernment, people who are confident in what they believe are attractive to you. Even if it's the wrong thing, they're attractive to you because you're confident, right? I, I, I've heard there is this, um, there was this movie, I can't remember what it was, but I remember this one line. This guy says something so confidently and the main character looks at him and says, I don't know if that's true, but you're confident, so I'm with you. I think that's us. I don't know if that's true, but you're confident, I'm with you. And I'm not confident right now. And so I need some help. What about this? Spiritual burnout. Anybody in here experiencing spiritual burnout? Like you read about some of the things that are going on in the Bible. You see other people raising their hand in worship. And you're like just struggling to open your Bible once a month or to pray once a week. Right? And you're just, you're tired and you're overwhelmed. In fact, one of the statistics in my research for this that was so surprising was this. Do you know the people that are the least likely to return to the faith when they start to deconstruct? It's those who were previously most heavily involved in their church. Those who served, led groups, taught, were, the, you know, the steady eddies. They're always here. You know, those people, when they deconstruct, are the least likely to return. Why? Because of spiritual burnout. In fact, it's even more interesting. The least likely group of people to deconstruct are people with very conservative, strict views. But when that group of people does deconstruct, they're the least likely to ever return. They're the least likely to ever return. So why do you think major denominations in our country and our world are struggling right now? The strictest, most set up, ready to go, when Christ is removed and everything becomes about rules and rituals and not about Jesus, you get spiritual burnout and people leave and never return. Not only that, 
How about the false need to fit in? Guys, there is so much pressure in our culture to fit into different ideologies and thoughts and systems right now. And if you don't, you are, you are awful, you are terrible, you are the worst person in the world if you're not going to follow our ideology. I think we live in one of, like, at least philosophically, through ideas, one of the least tolerant countries in the world when it comes to ideas. We can't handle, I mean, just look at our modern political system. It's unbelievably broken. It, all it is is we're at war with each other. Right? And so not only that, you have, uh, we get off mission. We become more concerned with missions outside of the church and claim them that they are the church. The late Tim Keller said this, while believers can register under a party affiliation and be active in politics, they should not identify the Christian church or faith with a political party as the only Christian one. We get off mission. Let me just tell you something in here. You can like whatever politician you want to, but no politician will ever be a savior and no politician will ever be a king. We have one king and one savior and we serve him. And his kingdom and his mission trumps everything else. <laughs> Guys, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people struggled with this. There's books called First and Second Judges, First and Second Kings. That's where Israel asked for judges and kings to rule them. And they didn't work out because we aren't meant to rule each other. We're not. We are meant to serve a king. We are meant to serve a prophet. We are meant to serve a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And every other mission, every other thing falls short of that. In fact, let me just tell you something. If you tell me I'm a Republican Christian or I'm a Democrat Christian or I'm this Christian, that Christian, you're not acting Christian. Because there should be no modifiers before the word Christian in your faith. Zero modifiers. Because what you say is the agenda of that influences my Christianity when the influence of your Christianity should influence that agenda. And that's why people deconstruct. That's why people begin to have these hard times and what is going on. But not only that, we've lived in a system in a world of fear. The church has never, ever, ever been meant to run by fear. Why? Because the church of God and of Jesus Christ is meant to be run by one thing, love. And perfect love casts out fear. And so if you're in a fear-based, if you're online and you're not a part of Bedrock and you're part of a group of people that they just want to scare you into heaven, I don't think that's the way it works. We're not scared into heaven. We're in love with Jesus because Jesus is in love with us. And so when we start to get these things mixed up, it's no wonder that people begin to fall away. Because like what you're saying and what the Bible says, they're not adding up. And so I don't know how to get through this. I don't know what to do. And so we start to have a problem. In fact, let me just give you a word of encouragement. If you're in this room or you're listening online and you've been part of organizations or churches or things like that, that everything was fear-based and law-based and rule-based, and then you go, man, how do you ever get out of that? I'm glad you asked because that's exactly what Jesus got out of. Jesus was, came into the world and into Judaism at the time, which was rule-based and fear-based. And Jesus disentangled. Jesus found the way through. Jesus found and showed us the way home. 
And so when we start to, we can't predict a crisis, but crisis will come, but we can prepare because what happens for so many of us is when we're not really prepared, once the crisis comes, we get stuck. We get stuck in our doubts, in our worries. And let me just tell you something. There is no problem with having a doubt in this room. There's no problem. God is not scared of your doubt. In fact, if you're doubting, what you're saying to me is, I'm not sure what the truth is. But if you're seeking the truth, I fully believe you'll find Jesus at the end of the road. How do you know that, Pastor Blake? Jesus said it. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So I really believe if you're in this room and you're like, I am doubting and I'm having a hard time and I'm struggling and I don't know the truth, if you seek the truth, I believe you will find him. I wholly believe that. But many of us get stuck. We get stuck in our hurt, right? When leaders disappoint us, when we're disappointed because we've been ostracized because we don't follow all of the rules that we used to. Or what about we get stuck because the pain of pulling our belief system apart is hard. Part of our identity is not necessarily in being sons and daughters of God, but is in all of these different little ideas and views and doctrines that we hold so tight to. What about we don't know who to trust, so we get stuck? Your paralysis by analysis. I don't know who to trust, so I can't go anywhere. And so now I'm just, I don't know what to do. And that really plays into the clergy part. Because if you don't trust clergy, then you're not going to go to clergy to get help when you're doubting. Not only that, we don't know how to find the truth. We we don't know how to get there. And, and, And so we attach ourselves to people who are professing to pursue the truth, but they don't really know how to get there either. And you know what that is? It's just two people walking in the woods. If you're lost and don't know the way out of the woods, then all you're doing is taking a walk. You're lost. And you might have company. And you may find your way through, but we have lost the ability to discern truth. And let me just tell you something. It's hard now. There's so many doctored videos and and different things and and these facts and everyone is so confident. Does anyone in here like ever get to the point where you're like, I don't know what's actually true. Like, I don't know how to discern this. It's very confusing, especially when you're using culture to define the truth rather than the Bible. And then we get stuck and we, we get worried because it, what if it all starts to look the same? What, what, what do we do then? This is scaring me. I don't know what to do. It's looking similar. And then finally, I think we get stuck because we're alone. See, one of the crazy things about deconstruction is it isolates you. When people begin to deconstruct their faith, they move away and they isolate themselves and you're alone. That's a really hard place to be. It's a scary place to be. And if you're, the voice that you have is only yours and your doubt, it's going to be hard to find your way out of this. It's going to be hard to deal with this. And let me just tell you, like, if, if it's not you in this room, then it's probably someone that you know right now. There's probably someone that you know that's, that's gone, that's left the faith, that deconstructing or it is deconstructing and they're dealing with all of these things and you might feel hopeless or helpless or I don't know what to do or I don't know how to help but we're going to help you in this series get through this we're going to help you over the next few weeks to to get through all of this so that you can begin to pursue God fully in this time because here's what happens not only do we get stuck I think one of the reasons we get stuck is because 
we're presented with a false decision. See, because when we start to deconstruct or disentangle whatever it is that we're doing, we're told that there's only two roads that you can take. You can double down or you can burn it down. Those are the only roads that you got when you're struggling. You either burn it all down or you double down on it. What does doubling down look like? All right, we're going to go to the King James Version. If you like the King James Version, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you tell me that it's the only version that you can read, I have a problem with it. Because here's why. You might not know this, but the King James Version is translated from something called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew translation of the Bible. So you're using a translation of a translation to now make your translation. That's a lot. Now, it was the best that they had at the time, and I don't think that by nature the King James Version or the New King James Version is inaccurate, and if you prefer that version, awesome, that's fine. But if you tell me it's the only inspired version, we have a problem. Because we have Bibles now that use much older manuscripts, more manuscripts, more accurate manuscripts, and they're coming from the original languages. So doubling down would be the only correct version is the King James Version of the Bible. That would be doubling down when I present you with evidence to the contrary. Now it's okay to have a preference and say, but I like it. No problem. You've memorized verses in it. Awesome. That's great. Doubling down looks like there's evidence in front of you that is contrary, but because you don't want to begin to take those things apart, which could be inaccurate, you double down on everything. We have the great uncle that does this, right? There's always an uncle at dinner, and you know that he's wrong, and you, you like, prove it, and then he just doubles down. And you're like, man, I just told you, like, th- this is irrefutable. And it's like, yeah, but I'm choosing to ignore that. Okay, you double down. If you're a double down kind of person, I don't know if you're seeking the truth. I think you're th- seeking your opinion. Now, are there some things in my life that I will double down on? 100%. Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. I'm doubling down on that. I'm quadrupling down on that. I'm staking my flag there. That's the hill I'm dying on. There's no other. That's it. That's it. And he has every right to do that because he's the only one who did what he did. He's the only one who paved the way. So he has every right to say that. But so you can double down. Or you can burn it down. There's this old phrase. Um, when, when the Vikings would come onto shore in certain places that they wanted to take over or armies and things like that, there's this phrase. You've probably heard it. It's, it says, burn the ships. As soon as we get here, we're going to burn the boats so we can't go back. We're going to burn the ships so we, we have to make it work here. There's no way home. We burn the boats. Man, some of us in our life and in our faith, name that boat whatever you want to name it. Christianity, church, Jesus, God, the Bible, and you rode that boat to shore and you weren't sure about it, but you're never going back, so you burn the ship. And now you're stuck on an island alone. And you're stuck in a place of suffering. Or maybe you arrived at an island with a bunch of other people that are just suffering and trying to find their way home. But what if there was a different way to do this? What if there's a third way? What if there's the God way? 
What if, what if there's a way to begin to disentangle and pull things apart that we don't have to burn everything down and we don't have to double down on things we don't know about? What if there's a third way? Listen, uh, this lady, she, um, she was in the process of deconstruction or really disentangling, and she said something so beautiful about it. She said this, the very questions and doubts and things that I have been fighting for so long ended up being a really beautiful invitation from the Holy Spirit. And I found a third way, which is something between doubling down and burning it all down. It's, a, it's kind of an invitation from God that there is goodness here. There are good people. And you, you may not have all of the answers, but the journey is good. Because we're so in love with certainty. Aren't we? Aren't we so in love with certainty in, in, our, in our life and in our world? Ambiguity is something that bothers us. And so some of us burn the ships and some of us because of a lack of certainty. But you're removing faith from Christianity. And Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is beautiful, right? Uh, Hebrews says that faith is a hope in what is unseen. Faith is beautiful. It is this lack of certainty. And so if you have to remove all certainty from your walk with Jesus and everything has to be certain, then you've removed faith. And we're in a dangerous place. Faith is part of this. And let me just tell you something, guys. Every worldview has faith. Right? Like, okay, let's just say we're going to go outside of Christianity and we're going to go into a totally naturalistic worldview. Great. All right, glad you asked. There's a leap of faith there too because, you know, the first two laws of thermodynamics, we're going to get a little science-y, but just hold on. Some of your eyes glaze back immediately. I saw some of you pass out. First two laws of thermodynamics, what? You cannot create something from nothing and you cannot have order from chaos. What's the explanation for the beginning of the universe if God doesn't make it? There's a lot of stuff in a little pot or, or like a little ball. It was super hot and it exploded. Spread across the galaxy and form planets and universes and all of these things. How can you have a worldview that violates the very first laws that govern the whole worldview? So you take a leap of faith. Like to be totally naturalistic in your worldview, you have to take a leap of faith. Because the explanation of the Big Bang is not really a plausible explanation for the beginning of the universe. So you take it on faith and you build the system. Right? And there's things that we have to take on faith in this life. But here's the deal. If we're going to get through this and we're going we're gonna to journey through this together and we're going to help reach our friends and our neighbors and our families, our fellow church members and people within our culture and those strangers we haven't met yet that just need a little bit of help, then we are going to have to become ministers and not professors. Here's why. We believe in this room that doubt is intellectual. I do not believe that. I believe that doubt is emotional. I really do. I believe that we begin to see evidence that's contrary to what we believe, and so we begin to doubt because we're disappointed, we lack trust, we're angry, we're hurt. 
that life got too hard or that something happened. But I really believe fully that at the basis foundation of doubt is emotion. And let me tell you why we need to become ministers and not professors. Professors have intellectual answers. Ministers have answers to the heart. And let me just tell you something that's so important. An intellectual answer will never satisfy an emotional need. You're like, how do you know that? Anyone in here diet and intellectually you know you shouldn't eat certain things, but when you get sad, you eat certain things? You doubted the diet because your emotions got there, right? Right? I mean, anyone ever been there that you, you, you would never call that person again, ever? Never text them? <clears throat> You'll never call them? But you're lonely. You know that person's no good for you, but you're lonely. And so loneliness wins. And you know the intellectual answer, but the emotional need begins to enter in so much harder. And that's why we went from church hurt into this series. Is this all like streaming together as a beautiful moment and go, oh, we talked about hurt, so now we can talk about intellect. We can talk about what's going on. And so we need to be ministers. We need to minister to the angry. We need to speak to the fear. We need to love in the confusion. We need to come together with the overwhelmed, and we need to be there for the disappointed. Because, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of people get very angry when people are deconstructing. Like some of us, we know, like there's people in our lives that like they are walking away from the faith and you're mad about it. You're angry at them for struggling and dealing with doubt and going through this. And you can be upset about the way in which they are going about it, but we should have compassion for the fact that they are. If you're in this room and you're doubting, you will be met with compassion and love, with help, because we want to walk through this with you. And so, this is an introductory message to the series, but also to the book we're going to talk through in this series. We're going to be talking through the book of 1 John. And you're like, Pastor Blake, why 1 John? That's a short book. It's only five chapters. What do, why would we go there in these next couple weeks together? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what's going on in the world that John's writing to. John is writing to churches in Asia Minor. That's a really fancy way of saying Turkey now. If you know anything about the book of Revelation, there are seven churches in Turkey that are mentioned at the time of Revelation. Many scholars believe that that's who John is writing to. Did you notice that only two of the churches in the book of Revelation are commended for keeping the faith? Somewhere along the way, culture, life, hurt, heartache, all of these things got into and began to cause the other churches to deconstruct, to fall away from their first love and to pursue another. Why? Well, because they were a cultural melting pot. Turkey is a land bridge between the east and the west of the world. Every worldview, every culture finds its way to Turkey. It was the only way to travel, to, to get 
goods from Europe to, to India to China to uh, Africa. Like this is the place to be. And what happens is, is you're okay many times in your life when your worldview is never pushed against, when your worldview is never, never dealt with. But when you're in a cultural melting pot, your worldview is going to be dealt with. In fact, there is a mass amount of worldviews going on at this time in the world. Does this sound familiar? Do we not have almost every worldview and every culture available to us? It, just like our phone can, can enter us into any culture almost. Any worldview we can enter into completely. And what begins to happen is if you don't have a barometer for truth, this can become very confusing. In fact, the main religion of the time was this thing called syncretism. You're like, I don't know what that is. Let me tell you. However, syncretism is this. They, they didn't express the, an idea of tolerance toward other faiths. It's more than this. It's characteristics or expressions that was a combination of the various ideas. Syncretism says, well, I like that little bit of Buddhism. I'm going to put that in here. And I like this little bit of Islam. I like that. Okay. I like this bit of Judaism. And I like this bit of Christianity. And I like this of naturalism. And I just mix it up in a pot. And now comes my worldview. That's what happens. And syncretism says, no, no, no. There's not just like one worldview. And there's not the need to just be tolerant of other worldviews. It's to adopt the other worldviews into your worldview. Does this not sound like our culture right now? You better take this idea and put it into your Christianity. This is what it is. We take culture and we cram it into the Bible, and then we make the Bible fit this worldview. Rather, what should happen is the Bible should reign supreme over culture, and the Bible should begin to define for us what culture needs to be. Guys, isn't it crazy that thousands of years ago, there were seven churches in Turkey dealing with the same world that we're living in right now. So not only that, you have this Gnostic belief that comes up, and Gnostic is just a Greek word of saying knowledge, but these guys believe something really interesting. And this is the crisis that the churches are facing that John is writing to. See, the Gnostics, it comes from Greece, and they believe this. They believe flesh was evil, like physical flesh was evil. And so this is what the Gnostics said. There is no way Jesus was the son of God because the flesh is evil and God couldn't do that. So there's no way that Jesus could have been the son of God. He could have been good. He could have been anointed, but he is not God in flesh because flesh is evil. And so there's no way that Jesus could have been the son of God and there's no way that he could have died for our sins. So what happens People go, man, that sounds confident. That sounds clear. That sounds like you know what you're talking about. I guess Jesus isn't the son of God. He's just a good dude. Is there really any hope for me anymore? I better find another way. And so people that they know within the church begin to leave. Leaders leave. Church elders leave. People who serve lead. It's the same thing that happens now. It's the same thing that happens now. And I, I want you to notice something. Like how this is the oldest trick in the book. How did the enemy, Satan, get Adam and Eve to fall? 
He sowed doubt. Did God really say? And you know what happened? Is instead of going to God, the source of truth, and saying, did you really say this? They go to each other. And the, the seed of doubt begins to grow. And I'm not upset that they doubted, and I don't think God was either. I think it's the fact that they didn't go to him first. And so they fall. And they, they move away so quickly. But not only was there this idea of, of the flesh is evil, so Jesus couldn't do this, but it created spiritual elitism. Let's, let's reword that for our modern age, philosophical elitism. Oh, you don't believe this about culture? You don't believe this about people's identities? You don't believe this about nature? You don't believe these things about it? Then you're stupid. And I don't know about you. No one likes being called dumb. Even if you're not, it hurts. Right? And we're just buffoons who believe these lies and believe these tales and believe these things. And so we begin to bow down to the philosophical elitism of the day and we begin to deconstruct and we begin to take into our life and we begin to take into our world this other idea. Culture begins to infuse our life. And then finally, there's crisis. Everyone's leaving. Everyone's going away. People are abandoning the faith. Heretical doctrine is coming in. And so they're in crisis. And so they begin to deconstruct. Because the letter to 1 John is very similar to the world that we find ourselves in currently. But John, at the end of his letter, writes this, and this is the hope of the series. John writes this, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know doesn't have to be a guess. doesn't have to be all this confusion. I write these things to you so that you may know. And that's what most people are trying to figure out when they're deconstructing. But then it says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for of him. So here's what he says. Not only would you know that you have eternal life, but that you would be in a relationship with the living God. I think that's a really good reason to write a letter. And so in these next few weeks together, we're going to learn how to do this very well. We're going to learn that, look, if you want to deconstruct, if you're in this room, you want to disentangle, there's nothing wrong with that at all in this room. There's nothing wrong with that. It just matters how we do it. It matters how we walk through this together. It matters how we, we approach this. And so I hope that you'll stick with us for the next couple of weeks in this series. I believe your hearts will be encouraged and your minds will be informed. And I pray that not only will you grow in your faith, but that you will be able to help others in their faith. That we will be equipped for the work that is ahead. Because here's the reality, guys. It's present in this room and it's definitely present outside of it. And there's a lot of people who are hurting and trying to make it through this because of the hurts that they've experienced. But what if we could help them rebuild a very beautiful, biblically founded faith that is built on the rock and not on the sand? And that we could find hope not only for ourselves, but we can help others. 
And so as we get ready to end um, this morning together, I know this isn't like a normal message for us, but I hope that this sets the stage for what is to come. And I hope you're excited. And I hope you're ready to dive in and we chew on a little bit of meat here. And then I have exciting news. Very soon after this series, we will go into probably our church's favorite series of the year, The Chosen. And so we will be going through season three of The Chosen and we will be preaching through those passages that that show shows. And so get excited. Hang with us. We have probably the most exciting time of our church leading up to Christmas is happening. We're about to hit warp speed. And I'm excited that you'll be here and be a part of it. And then this afternoon, um, we have the Connect Lunch. There's an old way of saying this is called a church potluck. And so there's plenty of food. If you didn't bring any food, there's plenty of food. The gym is set up. There's tables, drinks, food. We invite you, and I'd love to see you over there if we've never met, to have lunch and get to know the people you're sitting in the room with. Right? We're not just a bunch of people who come here randomly. We are God's church, and we are his family. Come get to know the family today. And so would you join me in praying as we end this morning, and then you guys are free to head over to lunch. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and your truth. God, today I ask for all of us, Lord, whatever we're struggling with, whatever fears we have, whatever doubts we have, whatever anxieties and worries that we have in this room right now, God, I, begin, I ask that you begin to speak to those now. That, Lord, there's, there's someone in this room that has held their doubts way deep down inside. And it's feeling and getting to the point where it feels like they can't anymore. And so, God, would you please, please, please minister to their heart and to their mind right now to help them know that this is a safe place where they can express those doubts and those needs and that they will be met with grace and peace. And, Lord, that we will journey through this life with them. And, Lord, I pray even for those who, maybe it's not us, but there are names in our mind right now that we know are struggling. God, would you give us courage to speak into their life? Would you give us courage to be patient, loving people as they are hurting and walking through one of the hardest things that we can do as people to deconstruct or disentangle our life, our faith? And so, God, I pray an anointing over us these next couple weeks, over our minds and our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that those doubts and worries and things like that that we have, we, we wrestle with them, Lord, and we find joy in you, and we find peace in you, and we find answers, and we find hope in you, and that not only that will happen, but our faith will grow. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We give you all honor and glory in Christ's holy and precious name. And everybody said, amen. amen.